Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Recording in progress. Anyone who uses Zoom, <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. we don't hear that in our dreams. <laughs> recording in progress got it <laughs> my favorite thing in the world is to try to be the computer voice so I'm like recording in progress <laughs> that's good <laughs> I like so badly want to be one of the like traffic voices like at the next intersection turn left <laughs> like you want to be recording. like a Siri voice or just like a GPS voice anything well I love listening to it because you can tell the way they record it that they say left at a certain intonation. And so you'll be going along and it'll be like, turn left at the next intersection. <laughs> so even if you're not really paying attention, you learn the tone of your directive system and you're like, oh, that was that tone. It must've been a left. <laughs> yes, yes. Or like in New York City, stand clear of the closing doors, please. I'm like, I would be such a good recorded voice. <laughs> That's amazing. I am looking something up because it's sort of relevant. I was in one of my groups today. Someone posted this link to, um, do you know Karen Anderson? She's just like, um, I don't know. Coaching like dear adult daughter, dear adult daughter. And she does like mother daughter relationships. I should okay. have her on this YouTube. She's been on my podcast a couple of times, but that's cool. She posted this, um, it's a radio clip. Samara Bay wants to change the power. Huh. Um, what power sounds like. So it's like, she's a voice coach. Cool. Like so right up your alley, right? And like, have you ever had someone tell you you need to change the way you speak so that you create more authority or leadership? And so her whole thing was like, you know, yeah, there is some value in the language we use and the way we speak, but also like we just learned that like deep authoritative was better and powerful. Right. right. And we can change that. Yeah. <laughs> like vocal fry all you want to vocal fry because <laughs> let's just make that powerful. <laughs> right. Yes. And this this yeah. tone and voiceover stuff is reminding me of that conversation. Yeah, for sure. And as a vocal coach, that's one of my, that's kind of my thing that I do. Yeah. I'm like building life coaching, right? But like vocal coach has been my last three years. Um, one of the things I coach on and I'm so invested in people loving their own voices, right? So many students come to me and I've worked with a lot of teenagers, especially and they're like, why can't I sing like this person that I hear in this recording? I'm like, because you have a different voice. You, like, exactly. I'm, I'm all about you learning to sound like them as an imitation technique and as a learning technique. But you have a God-given magical voice. And I want to develop your voice, not turn you into a different somebody else. Like I, so anyways, I could just preach and preach and preach. But <laughs> no, I mean, this is a great conversation. So we... I invited you to come on and have a YouTube chat because I follow my intuition. I was like, this is going to be amazing. You did remind me that you posted something about like 
along the lines of like the full spectrum of the human experience. And I was like, yep, time for a YouTube chat. Love it. Well, I love this, you know, it wasn't very specific, but I love this conversation about voice and it's wanting me to ask you like, so this space Mm. is very new for me. This full, I'm creating a membership called the full spectrum space. And it's this sort of like, maiden to mother to crone all of our reproductive experiences like all of it menstruation and family planning and like weird cancers and cysts and like all of this shit that happens to us in these reproductive bodies mm. and how do we navigate through it with empowerment and like extract out the gifts and like use our voice so at I was curious how the voice naturally changes throughout our reproductive years. Like if we never thought about voice as in like our own confidence or authenticity or like speaking our truth, like if we never thought about that. Right. How does the voice naturally shift in the journey of mating yeah. throne? Yeah, that's really interesting. It would be interesting. So I don't know necessarily know the science behind it. I know a lot of science about singing, right? Mm-hmm. But like even just in my own life, and I'm working with different people that I've worked with, one of the things that I noticed that isn't talked about at all is that as girls like going through puberty and into womanhood, our voices drop as well. Right. We don't, right. We always think of the boys with the voice change. Right. But like my experience as somebody that sings when I was really little, I had all this access to my voice that was so easy and it was so effortless. And I sang anything I wanted and I didn't think about it and it sounded beautiful. And then once I hit puberty and then tried to like tried to start singing, I think I joined show choir. I have this extremely small range and, you know, we could go into the way I was brought up and like how that subdued my abilities physically, whatever. Right. But it, and so I got a vocal coach when I was 15 because I'm like, I can't sing what, how I want to sing because my voice now, all this access that I had to my higher range is gone. Hmm. And like, I just can't hit the notes and it, And then as I got into adulthood and then as I got to be a better singer and could access my voice the way I wanted to, I think it was when I was 29, I had always had this cap, like the highest note that I could sing and I couldn't get past it. And I was like, "Uh." and then I was 29 and all of a sudden I was singing all of these high notes and I was like, I never used to be able to hit that note. And I just like, and now it's so easy. And I asked one of my other friends who was a vocal coach and she's like, oh yeah, you don't hit your vocal prime until you're in your like 35 to 45 is your vocal prime. So you're going to get all these extra notes in your like belting singing range that you will, you'll be able to hit really high notes and you're not going to believe it. And I was just like, what? So me torturing myself as a teenager that I couldn't hit these notes was completely pointless. (laughs) Wow. I love to this. There's not many things where we're socialized to believe like, oh, your prime is coming when you're in your, when 35 to 45, right? Like 
that's kind of cool. Like we just socially think like, oh, prime is in youth, prime is in youth, prime is in youth. And like, we know that there's so much more than that, but, yes. but that's like pretty cool that like developmentally your prime is actually right. this window that's much later. Yeah, it's midlife. I mean, 35, I don't I think 35 is midlife, but like certainly into 45, I, I like, I feel like I'm going to be like middle age when I hit 40 and I, that's just me. That's my perspective. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. That's really cool. Um, I want to like, I want to circle, I want to like come way back yeah 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 let's start at the beginning like that's what do you think? <laughs> sorry <laughs> this is my broadway musical brain like inserting <laughs> anytime i have not been to a broadway show in so long that's very sad i'm gonna have to go book some tickets <laughs> they probably cost like 500 dollars, right i mean how much is it even to see a broadway show now you know so i think it can be pretty reasonable the times that i've gone We've gotten nosebleed seats, but usually the theaters on Broadway are pretty small, so it's still a good view. But anyways, okay, okay. back to the beginning. No, I, I remember going to like Times Square and there was like this one place where you go to get the discounted tickets. Yes. It's fabulous. <laughs> um, tell us about the power of voice. Like when you think about the power of voice and what it can offer us in our well-being, just like our well-being as humans, mostly women are in, in my group, but like yeah. anyone socializing a woman, anyone like navigating the hormones of a woman, all of it, like what's the power of voice that we underestimate as yeah. regular old humans walking through the world? Yeah, I think as someone that has sang for a long time and understands the physicality of singing. Um, and this doesn't have to just apply to singing, right? This can apply with how you can play with your voice to experience these things. Mm -hmm. um, but I always tell my vocal students, like singing is a full body sport. Mm -hmm. So like you have to use your abs and your breath control and all of the muscles inside of your throat and all of this. So one thing that I have noticed in singing and just using my voice is the physicality of it and the power of that physicality. Mm. So I've noticed like if I'm in bed at night and I'm just tense, if I just take a deep breath and I just let out an audible sigh, like, that actually physically vibrates through your whole body mm. your muscles are activating to produce that sound when i'm in a you know holding a plank or something back when i used to work out when yeah. i would be like holding a plank i was never afraid to be like oh this is so hard because just the force of producing that sound was activating things that needed to stay activated yeah so in a very physical sense, I think there's a lot of even nervous system regulation that can happen when you use your voice. Like I was, somebody was practicing a trance on me the other day and in the trance, I was like, I have to sing right now because I won't feel this into my whole body unless I sing. Mm. So I was literally in trance and I was just like, the universe is mine to run. 
and it just like sunk in what we were mm. doing deeper because I could feel the sound throughout my yeah, whole body. Yeah. And so, yeah. So even things like with things like grief or things that are like excitement or these kinds of things, I think sometimes the last step to fully embodying them is using our voice, whether it's physically using our voice to wail or to scream or to be so angry that this person did this to me, right? Right. Like the power of the voice is that it is a physical manifestation of our internal state. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and like, And one of the reasons, just to like go a little wonky here, one of the reasons that it is so hard for us, I believe, as women to, and as people that are socialized as women, to use our voice is because it is, I think of our voice as an instrument, but our body is the instrument. And so some of the confidence that comes, that like stops us from using our voice is like, if I, like our voice is our heart. So if I use my voice in a specific way verbally and it is rejected, then I am rejected. Yeah. Right. And for so many years singing on stages and taking up space in those ways, I just from a technical standpoint, I had to go, my voice is an instrument and any way that I find that I want to use it differently doesn't say anything about my worthiness. It simply says, Uh Hey, I have another skill to learn. Yeah. So I think that's an important, I don't know actually how I feel about what I'm saying, because like your voice is a holistic part of you and it's not right because your voice and your expression of yourself is a holistic part of you. And when you're thinking about just the instrument of the voice, it's all muscles and mechanisms and you can do different things with it. Right. So anyways, yeah. you know, well, I wrote down lots of questions. Ready? Awesome. Yeah, I'm ready. A, do you do any kundalini yoga? No, what is that? Well, stop it! (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of it. It sounds amazing. Oh, like that's, so kundalini yoga is very sound-centered. Ooh. Lots of like using the voice with the, um, with the body. Certainly some positioning, but like, oh my God, just Google kundalini. Like you're, it, I don't, I'm not a yoga person actually. Okay. Um, I just never really like fell in love with yoga. I'm not like, oh, let's go to yoga class. Just like, yeah. not am, except Kundalini. I was like, what is this is happening? This is the weirdest experience ever. Everyone's making strange noises. You kind of like just lose inhibitions because it's so weird. No. <laughs> you're like trying to do downward dog and I don't know it's like for me like all kinds of insecurity and like comparison and whatever but kundalini is just so weird that everyone fits in <laughs> you're like no everybody's being the weirdest they've ever been in my life <laughs> yeah you gotta look up kundalini yoga okay great okay yeah, that's just a question I had for you. But um, then because we're both in this certification right now where we're really exploring like more neuroscience and the unconscious mm-hmm. mind, like I think that is a lot of what Kundalini does is like we're accessing mm-hmm. the parts of ourselves that are that we can't access without that sound 
elements. It just feels like what you're describing. It's like you're accessing. You're, well, the other word that's coming up for mind is like you're coming to mind. You're accessing your unconscious mind, but then you're also um, acknowledging like you're like, like, I'm with you. I hear you. I know that you're there. And there's a whole bunch of other shit in our life happening. But yeah. like, I got you. We're we're in this together. And like, yeah. I just love that, that you can sort of get there through sound. I, yeah, it's amazing. That's cool. And just even the power of like, For me, the power of sound too is like whether you're forming actual words mm-hmm. or whether you're just making sounds, it's something about like putting yourself into the world, right? Yes. It's like it's like a different way of taking up space. I don't know if you know this about sound, but the way that sound works is that it propagates through the air. So just like you drop a ripple into a pond, a pebble into a pond and it creates a ripple. Yeah, that pebble is actually hitting a water molecule and that water molecule hits the next one, hits the next one, hits the next one. Yeah. So like sound, the way sound works is the same, only it's three dimensional. So when I'm speaking to you right now, the sound is coming out of my mouth and the air molecules are spreading out like this all around. So when you use your physical voice, you are literally pushing air you're literally creating space around you and then that's bumping into other people. So like if you're at a concert and you feel the bass in your chest, you're actually feeling the air hit your chest from the sound. And so it's like, it actually is literally physical. And so whether it's like, it's almost like giving yourself a hug, right? Like you allow that sound to uh, come out of your body. It's creating physical reactions. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just getting sciencey. <laughs> no, it's just one of those things that like sound and light. I'm like, I don't understand how it all works. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to believe you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it totally. makes sense. The way you describe it makes total sense. But then I'm imagining being in a room with someone and I can much more visually imagine this, the movement of the sound. But then I'm like, but we're in Zoom. There's no air between us. And I'm like, but the air is coming off the speaker and like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of, I think too, like, just like we've been talking about in the BFCC, the best fucking coaching course, there's a lot of mirror neurons happening too though, right? So it's like, because your brain knows what it's like to speak in your voice and to feel those resonances, resonances, resonations, whatever the words are, you can feel that resonance. It's like, you can pick it up even though you're not physically feeling it. Right. So like your brain can do, do its thing and translate things the way they need to be translated, even across zoom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Such a great opportunity to just trust and let it be. Yeah. Okay. I have a question about whaling. I love that you brought up whaling. Um, but it made me wonder when we're like, say we're grieving and we're wailing or we're raging and we're whatever. Let's just stick with grieving and wailing. Sure. I don't know science behind this, by the way, but no, I'm no, no, I don't have a science question. I, I will never ask a science question. Um, is it, 
is the is the feel good in it is the relief in it and it's probably an and both situation because it's always an and both situation and I'm like which is it yes is it the sound we're creating matches our feels Mm. and so that feels like oh I I'm in an alignment because the sound I'm creating is matching the depth of my feels Mm. or (laughs) and both I know but or or maybe you have a whole third option is it releasing the feels Mm. right like the feels are the depth of the feels are inside me as I grieve and in this whale I'm releasing them and letting them go yeah. Question I mean, I, I think in my experience, the times where I have let myself wail, it's like, it's the times where I felt like somebody ran me through with a sword and pulled it down, like ran me through at the chest and just pulled it all the way down. Like yeah. for me feeling torn in half, feeling like there's so much pain inside of me that I can't hold it Yeah. for me, that is certainly a release of just like, yeah there's too much. I can't like, Mm -hmm. and this brings up to me, this brings up this conversation of the way that we deal with grief and that we're taught to deal with grief. And especially in our, you know, I'm Lebanese, I'm half Lebanese. And and so half of my extended family is like Lebanese. And one of the things, especially back in Lebanon and in older times, probably now I've never been to Lebanon, very American. Um, But like, it's some of the funerals for my great aunts or great uncles, their spouse would sit at the coffin and wail. Right. And in, and in far, you know, ancient Eastern, ancient Middle East culture, people would hire whalers. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. Well, wait, that trips me up now. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. So like, but in our Western, like Romanized culture, right. So much of our culture comes from fourth century Rome and then, colonization and expansion and all of that Mm -hmm. so much of it um is is like you don't show emotion you shouldn't feel the way that you feel all of these things that we know we're conditioned by right and so for me as somebody who was mostly taught like to invalidate my emotions for me wailing has been a really good way to be like fuck no, these are my emotions and I am going to feel them or finally let myself feel them. The first, like the first breakup that I had, I spent three years trying to be okay. Instead of just grieving and being in the emotions and feeling them. And it took me a few breakups to figure out, just be sad, just with your emotions. Like you don't have to try to make yourself feel a different way like it's okay to feel the way that you feel and it's like it's almost like going getting through the pain faster because I experience it instead of trying not to experience it but it's always pushing in on me right the hiring of whalers which when you said it I was like yeah yeah yeah, that's the thing I've heard that before but then my brain was like what that makes more sense to me in the theory of like the sound matching the feels and there's this alignment that happens it's like okay the way I feel matches the sound I'm hearing and now there's peace like there's equilibrium that's interesting because 
with if you're hiring whalers are they i mean they're not energy are they maybe this is maybe it's an and situation still like they're energetically releasing for you but like the actual whaling feels much more like a release the hiring of whalers feels much more like a being able to access the sound to represent the feelings I'm feeling. And in that place, it's like, oh, the world makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know the history of it. Um, or, you know, I think in cultures, in, in some cultures, like there's a very clear way you're supposed to grieve for someone. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's supposed to be a certain level of emotionality or lack thereof, right? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know the history, but I love your thoughts about like, what if this is, what if this is helping me to feel, feel um, someone else needing me where I am yeah. and being with me? You know what it reminds me of a little bit is like when, do you have any kind of, I'm like totally outing you, so you don't have to answer. But my <laughs> question is, do you have any kind of like anxiety or um, like, are you a generally anxious person? I think so. Yeah. Okay, well, when the pandemic happened, there was this like collective anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I heard from some people who had anxiety. I have only since had anxiety, like the, the pandemic, like, taught me what anxiety was or like I don't know there's a whole another YouTube chat here where I was like oh maybe that's part of perimenopause that my anxiety is kicking in my point is I remember hearing a lot of people who who I stopped myself from saying the word struggled but I'm just going to use it anyway like struggled with anxiety who have anxiety Mm. going like oh now I feel better because like the way I Mm -hmm. feel is how the rest of the world feels so there's like a match. I'm like, okay, yeah, now it makes sense. But Everyone when you're gets. all happy and I'm anxious, like that doesn't feel good. The match is not there. So it's yeah. kind of reminding me of that. Or like sometimes people who have anxiety actually enjoy movies that like make like tear like uh, horror movies or something because yeah. it's like you get that match or like the world makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. That's such an interesting conversation because sorry, were you finished? No, I'm I'm always I'm always and never finished. I don't I know, right? Go ahead. It's such an interesting that specific comment about people watching like horror movies that already have anxiety or whatever it is to like catch that. It's interesting because and this is just an observation from my own life, I almost think that sometimes like seeking out that anxiety or stress can be a trauma response and I say that for me like I noticed so my backstory is is that I spent pretty much my whole working life working at a mega church and everything was like fast-paced stressful we're always doing the next thing we have to save people from hell this was the mentality right and so we should have an abortion conversation okay keep going yes yes and everything that we did has this weight of eternity on it, right? Uh-huh. So like, even though the words coming out of mouths was, you should take care of yourself and your health is important. The way that like, the way that it played out was, I never, I always am in this survival mode. 
this total disconnect because you know you got if you have to save people from hell then everything is the most urgent even the smallest thing and so I spent a decade in this environment of like everything's fast-paced I never have enough time I'm always and eventually it really took over my life and started you know it started drowning out other things that I felt the most called to and which is when I left but earlier this year I really, really realized, so I have one cat and I had gotten another one to like, for them to be friends and they were not friends. It was not working out. So after five months, I took the other one back and I immediately was like, I should get an, I should try again. I should get another cat for my one that I still have. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You know how stressful it is trying to acclimate two cats. Why do you get out of one situation? stressful situation and immediately think that you should put yourself in another one Mm -hmm. and I realized it was like I think that I don't sometimes don't feel in control unless I'm dealing with a crisis Mm -hmm. and I just was like Jennifer let yourself have some peace like Mm -hmm. or maybe even for me like all of my anxiety is usually situational right so when the pandemic started that year 2020 in February of 2020, I was like, this is my point of no return. I am now music. I am now an independent musician and I'm not having any other jobs. Mm. And so like, I was doing good. I had all my gigs lined up. I had some students and I was like paying my bills. And a month later, everything shut down and all, almost all of my income was gone. And so I resonate with the like anxiety the experience of anxiety being completely magnified for me. Like I already had anxiety because I was trying to just make, make my own, you know, pay myself. And then, and so anyhow, um, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, ever since then, it's just been a constant cycle of anxiety and okay. And anxiety and okay. And I can recognize like, sometimes I seek out a crisis so that I'm dealing with that crisis instead of dealing with my ongoing anxieties about specific things and solutions to the specific things. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's just very, ugh, it's interesting. Well, the most interesting part to me is just like learning the skills of hearing all the different ways to think about it, hearing all the different ways it shows up for people. And then learning the skills of like, what is my experience? Like, do I seek out horror movies because I thrive on the like, whatever, or do I seek out horror movies because it finally lets me settle? Yeah. feel like there's a resonance that makes sense. Like, yeah, there's not one answer. It's what is it for you? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why I say I'm like, I'm not sure if like trauma response is the right thing. But like, for me, I can see the like, oh, this is my response is like, if I don't have enough stress in my life, then I add more. Mm -hmm. And as I've really gotten to know myself in a deeper way in the last six months, about six or seven months ago, I I I took a sabbatical for like a month and I still taught all of my clients that I have and still did that, but I stopped promoting completely because I was, you know, I'm, I'm working to build really, really branch out into life coaching because I just, you know, I love helping people have that, those amazing changes because my life was changed by my coach. Right. And so anyhow, 
back in uh, June, I decided like, I need to take a break because my nervous, like I literally can't move forward. My body won't let me move forward in the ways that I've been trying to build my business. And so I decided to take a month long sabbatical from everything that I possibly could. So I only focused on the clients that I had, the music clients that I had, and I did nothing else except let myself rest. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, I started to really get in touch with who I am. And like we talked about at the beginning, the full spectrum, right? Like I recognize that like, wow, I really see this darkness that's in myself as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And as I decided to let that mental idea go and started sinking down, really down into myself and visiting with that darkness, I was like, wait a second. There's a lot of wisdom down here. Yeah. There's a lot of like, and there's a lot of rage and there's a lot of anger because <laughs> someone that grew up in the evangelical world and, you know, so our culture already socializes us as women to like be nice and kind and fun. Like the Taylor Swift lyric goes, right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the way we're socialized by society. And then women in the church get it doubly as bad because the evangelical church, first of all, doesn't believe that women have the same authority as men. So like your voice essentially only matters if a man like validates it, which you get in culture as well. Right. But like, so culture and church culture, and you're just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And because of the way I was raised from a young age or the environments I had from a young age, my survival mode was I'm going to freeze and fawn, right? I am going to make sure everybody likes me and that I do every single thing right so that nothing bad happens to me, so that nobody can say that I was wrong, so that like my core value for my life was not hurting people, which it's great to not want to hurt people, right? But like that really led to me like being such a small version of myself Mm. and like- Isn't that crazy? Like- me not wanting to hurt people led to being such a small version. <laughs> but that, but me not wanting to hurt people is very connected to like, if oh, I, I get things wrong, I'm safe, right? Yeah. No, and totally. so like, I, and I, you know, I'm obviously a very expressive person and people saw that side of me for sure. But like it was in a palatable way. I sing on the stage and I sing worship music and I make sure everybody feels happy and good when they come into the lobby of the church. And I make sure whatever, I spent so much time being what everyone needed to be because that was literally my job, right? But it was also this idea of like, it's noble to sacrifice and and suffer and like all of these things for the gospel, for ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I when I got out of ministry, I just did, I literally did temp work after I got out of ministry. Cause I was like, I don't want you to hire me for five years. I want to fill in for you. So I can figure out how to be an entrepreneur. Right. So I was doing temp work, sitting here doing mindless work. That was so easy for me and just started realizing like, I don't know who I actually am mm-hmm. outside of what I have been because everybody needed me to be that. I had to be the strong one. I had to be the like happy one. I had to be the one pepping everyone up, you know? And like, as I started realizing that the first question that I asked myself 
or the first like stipulation I put in place for my life to figure out who I was, was like, I'm no longer doing things because I should. I am only doing things if I actually want to do them. Or at that point, I still thought, or the spirit compels me. Right. And so like that and should is still such a thing for me. Right. It's still so strongly ingrained, but I'm slowly coming into more of a sense of messiness and play with my life and with my business. And, but yeah, it was a long journey of like, wow, all these parts of me have been, do you remember the movie and book, the golden compass and how, I don't remember the movie, but I remember there was a book. So so so, so in the movie, there's all these kids and all the kids have like a kind of a spirit guide animal that Mm -hmm. goes with them and the institution or whatever it is. I only saw it once, so I don't super remember it, but (laughs) the institution would take the kids and they would cut off their spirit animal. And like, it was very, it really stuck with me because I'm like, wow, that's how I was for most of my life. I was trying to cut off these parts of myself that felt unacceptable. And now I'm like, somebody asked me about internal family systems the other day and like that therapy and I'm vaguely familiar with it and just on my own was like, oh, I think these are my parts, you know, a couple of years ago. And they asked me like, what are the different parts of you saying? And I was like, honestly, I don't feel like I have that many different parts anymore. I have like met them and they're now like me. It's Mm -hmm. not like, I feel much more whole and like accepting those parts of my darkness or my rage or yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. It's really fun. Um, I have a, a voice question again. Yeah. Let's say someone in the group is navigating the, what does my wellness, my well-being look like? And like, you know, do I integrate acupuncture? Do I only see my OB or do I, right? And so like, it's just so much question and puzzling together. Yeah. Um, let's say someone is like me okay and they get sort of like lab coat even though doctors don't really wear lab coats anymore but like office visit anxiety right so it's like ugh, if I go into a room with a doctor they know more than I do and then I shrink a little and like Mm. I don't I'm not as powerful in the room as I am outside of the room (laughs) yeah so what might be a voice exercise I could consider either like sitting in my car before I go in to like grab hold of my power or yeah. I'm navigating the experience to like, do you know? Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. How can I use my voice to be a more empowered patient client? Yeah, I think it's going to be the first thing that comes to mind, I think is a combo of things, right? Like, mm-hmm. Our physical, the way our physical, like I said, like using your voice as a full body sport, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the way that our physical bodies are behaving before we go into any situation triggers our brain to a lot of things. So if we're sitting in our car on our phone, trying to talk ourselves into, I'm a strong, confident, powerful person. I've got this, right? Yeah. Even though we're saying those words, we're hunched over in a submissive position right so I would say one of the things to do is 
bring yourself into a powerful a powerful mode <laughs> so that your brain is like we're conquering right now we're dominating right yeah. now yeah and the other thing I would say is like as much as I love I am statements sometimes they don't land because we're not fully believing them. yeah we're like bullying ourselves into the I am <laughs> right so it's like yeah something that feels congruent to you like mm -hmm. I actually am the authority in my own life mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to express it even to a doctor even if I stumble like doing setting up a some kind of thing for you to say so for instance like if I my, since my response is to freeze when mm -hmm. something conflict happens right mm -hmm. my response is to freeze so beforehand I might remind myself in the mirror of the car I might speak back to myself if you freeze remember you can step back and tell them that you need time and you can gather your thoughts like yeah that's right good. and so it's some of those it's kind of a combo of things right yeah. but like speaking but that's good because when like, you were saying your I am Sorry, I'm totally interrupting. But when you were saying I am, I was thinking, I think for me, what would be most powerful would be an I can, which is exactly what you came to, which is like, because in those moments, it's more like, I don't know who the fuck I am, but I know I can. And like you said, step back, take a breath or whatever, slow down, ask another question, like... Yes. What a gift to know your trauma responses. So for me, it's mm -hmm. um, flight and fawn are my go-tos. Mm -hmm. I'm not a freezer, but I am a, like, I'm a flight. I'm like, okay, well, just get me out of here. Get me out of this room. Or right. like just saying what I think I want them, yeah. what I think they want to hear. For sure. Well, exactly. If you know those responses for yourself to come up with an I can statement. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Like I'm allowed to have the time that I need to communicate. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're, if your struggle in that situation is to actually get your voice out, what's the thing that you need before you start talking, right? Mm -hmm. What's the resource that you need before you start talking? I need space and time for my brain to expand and remember the things. Mm -hmm. So just remembering that you can give yourself that resource that you need to use your voice. Yeah, that's good. And so, and some of the things, you know, that we're learning in our course are phenomenal for this, right? So like, yeah. maybe you take a deep breath. Maybe you install that in your office experience. You take a deep yeah. breath and you let it out for twice as long. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found too in using my voice is I'm allowed to communicate my needs. Even if it's, you just said that, pause for a minute. I need to think about what you said, doctor, yeah. please. Right? Yeah. Like, this is your appointment, yeah. not theirs, right? Like, yep. this is your moment to get what you need. It's not about them. Yeah. And so being able to kind of install some thought processes of like, I'm allowed to say the thing that I need to say before I can say the thing that I need to say, right? Like, I need you to give me 30 seconds. I need to pull out the questions that I have. Yeah. Like make sure I get these things yeah. answered. Right. So I have made a practice for myself because of my freeze response. I've made a practice my what am I saying? Blah. For myself of sometimes verbalizing my thoughts. 
I hear what you're saying. Give me a second to process it. I yeah. think I might have another question. That allows you to go, okay, let me check my notes and see. Because you're right. When you go into that survival mode response, you don't remember anything you need. Your brain is all in the brainstem, right? Yeah. Your frontal who you are. <laughs> see ya. So yeah. like, even just using your voice to say, I need a minute, mm -hmm. let me look up something. Even if you don't look up something, even if you're <laughs> right. for a minute, right? Like they don't It's know. just your breathe time. And it seems like you're, yeah. Right. Like get out a blank notebook mm -hmm. and flip through it and look for your, look for your mm -hmm. notes. So I think yeah. sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I love the question. I don't know if you said it exactly or it was how I heard it was, What's the resource I need to use my voice? So before I go into this appointment, what's the resource I need to use my voice? Um, yeah, is it courage? Is it, is it, why can't I think of anything but courage right now? <laughs> is, is it, it patience? Right? Yeah. Is it um, like, Call, is it peace? Is it like, what do I need so that I can use my voice? Yeah. And that'll be yeah. different for everybody. That's a great question. Right. And looking forward into that moment, because if you've had these experiences multiple times, you can look back and go, oh, if I had just had mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. when that doctor said yeah. that, I yeah. would have been able to blah, 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 blah. Right. So it's like, what is, if you can look back and go in that moment, I needed this and I didn't have it then next time you can verbalize it for yourself. Hey, I need a minute, mm -hmm. hey, I, whatever it is. Right. And so both the emotional resource, obviously. Right. And that can happen before you go in, you can get yourself into that state of having what you need and then having those kind of verbal plans so yeah. that you can create more of that when you're in the appointment. Yeah. Good fun stuff. We could talk forever, obviously, but um, is there anything you would want to say to a group of, you know, women at all different stages of their reproductive journeys, navigating the physical, spiritual, emotional experience of being human, really? <laughs> I think if there's anything that I've learned just in my own experience is that you know yourself and don't second guess that and you have god given or universe given however you think of it you have inherent authority for your life and the more you can sink into that and remember that and remember that you have the right mm -hmm. to take up space and use your voice even if it's wrong even if it's messy you have the inherent worthiness and authority mm -hmm. to execute your life however you see fit. Yeah. It's nobody else's business. It's yeah. your business to navigate your life in a way that feels good, in a way that feels good to you. I think sometimes we use the words alignment or congruent, and I personally love those words, but they can also be lofty when really it's enough if it feels good feels good <laughs> yep. I, it's impossible for me after all my work around abortion to not come back to um that as i'm filtering conversations but mm. this inherent worthiness and authority um 
the words I can are feeling really strong for me again is like, mm-hmm. I can always come back to my inherent worthiness and authority because the truth is when we're rushing to make a decision, whether it's about our breast cancer or our abortion, we don't always have, for whatever reasons, access to that inherent worthiness and authority. Like, or it doesn't feel like we do. But I'm just loving this. Like, I can always come back to my inherent worthiness and authority and be guided from there. Yes. Yeah. So good. Thank you. So good. Yeah. Thank you. I love it. Have an awesome day. We'll you remind too. me what time zone you're in. I am in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Yeah, the- Are you ready? I love it. That's awesome. Oh, look, Marlon's making his appearance. Hello. <laughs> Do we have a little beard? He does have a little beard. Oh, so fun. A good baby. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Sure thing. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.